Hi, Caleb. Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm uh, wet and soggy. How about you? Same. But uh, yeah, I went out uh, briefly this morning and got quite wet and uh, have not been out since. So getting a, yeah. a little bit unusual rain here in the uh, northern California region. So yeah, it's been epic. Lots of wind, some felled trees, as it were. Um, not, not a fun weekend to be a dog owner. I can tell you that. Having oh. to go out in the walk, uh, walk my dog in the rain. Neither of us want to be outside. It's uh, been unpleasant. Well, you can commiserate with the other fellow dog walkers. <laughs> yes, we're just kind of exchanging surly nods at each other as we scuffle down the sidewalk. So what are you drinking tonight? Anything warm? No, I am having a Manhattan, which oh. of, of course means I did not prepare anything else. So I just went with the standard old Manhattan. How about you? Hey, it's still a good drink. It uh, is, I'm trying it something is. new, uh, a bourbon crusta. Wow. Have you heard of that? Is that the one with the salt around the rim? This is sugar, but yeah, it's a sugar oh, rim. I'm sorry. Yeah, sugar. Yeah, so it's bourbon, lemon, Luxardo, or Contro, depending on your preference, and sugar rim. And uh, I like it. There's some weird bitterness. I think it's because I didn't use great bourbon. I used um, just some of the uh, Evan Williams bourbon. So Well, that should be fine for mixing. It's um, okay. I've had a Brandy Cresta before, which I think is out of the PDT book, mm. um, which is probably the same thing, just switching the spirit, the base spirit. Yeah, this was out of a uh, the Chronicle Books bar book, uh, one of my new holiday gifts. So, Oh, exciting. Exploring. So tonight I thought we could talk about one of uh, a company that's come up in the news and in relation to Tesla a fair amount and actually just had sort of a big event at CES, and that is Faraday Future. Oh, we're going uh, into the future. We are going into the future with Faraday Future, another company namesake uh, in the electric mobility world. Well, just the electric motor world uh, with, what was his name? Michael, Michael Faraday. Faraday. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, I wonder. So we've got Tis Nikola, Nikola Tesla and Michael Faraday. So I feel it's a little bit weird uh, kind of naming your company after an actual person, even though they are long dead. Um, I don't know. I feel like it seems a little bit uh, presumptive, I guess. I don't know. A little bit. <laughs> it's a little weird. I mean, there's at, at the other extreme, too, here in uh where I live in, in Silicon Valley, there is a drive-through hot dog stand called Ben Frank's, and their mm. logo is Benjamin Franklin, <laughs> one of the founding fathers in the United States. Isn't there also a Benjamin ben, Franklin plumbing or something? There's a Ben Franklin paint store, oh, I believe, okay. which is mm. like a, a national chain. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like there's, it's a little bit, you know, you're kind of commandeering someone else's name and likeness. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to do it for uh, electric car company. It's another to do it for, uh, I don't know, it feels like you're really diminishing Benjamin Franklin by turning him into a hot dog vendor. But anyways, I, I'm digressing. Yes. Yeah, so Faraday Future is a uh, company started in 2014. Uh, it's pretty recent. Uh, they uh, started in Los Angeles, but they have offices now uh, here in, in the Silicon Valley. Uh, they still have their design uh, down in L.A., very similar to Tesla's setup of having the main headquarters here in uh, the Palo Alto area, and then the design down in Los Angeles, where many car companies have design talent. And then they also have offices in Germany and, and Beijing. But um, yeah, they had a big event at, at CES, well, I guess the day before CES, and they unveiled their uh, production intent vehicle uh, for the first time. Uh, they've can been you, teasing it. Yeah. Can you uh, explain what CES, in case yeah, anyone so, doesn't know? Yeah, so CES is the Consumer Electronics Show. It's been going on for just over 50 years now. Uh, it's in Las Vegas every year, and it was sort of where uh, computer hobbyists and consumer electronics really were shown, and it's a big conference and trade show. 
and it sort of turned into one of the largest trade shows um, and uh, millions of square feet of, of stuff, TVs, everything, TVs, computers, VR, drones, now a lot of cars. Um, and so <laughs> Faraday Future decided to do their uh, unveiling the night before CES opened. And they had a very large press event. Uh, all the major tech pubs were there, all the major um, automotive blogs and folks, and then they did test drives and things. So what I thought we could do tonight was share a little bit more about Faraday Future in general as a company and sort of what uh, what it was going to take to make a car. Because to date, they don't they haven't sold one car. So they are a brand new car company entity, and their intention is to sell electric vehicles. Uh, and so they're uh, in the vaporware stage here. Yeah. So vaporware has been thrown a lot has been a word thrown around a lot in in relation to Faraday Future. So we can sort of describe and talk about what's. I guess the, the overall merits of that that nomenclature for them, um, but yeah, they haven't they haven't yet shipped their product. But um, you are know. they coming from a uh, software or like technology uh, area, or are, are these like car people kind of coming the other way? Like, what is the uh, what's the deal with the people involved? Yeah, so the the team so far, um, as a snapshot, they as of two years in now have a thousand employees. So it's pretty big. I was a, a bit surprised to find how large they were. Uh, and then I went to LinkedIn. That's quite a burn rate. Yeah, exactly. I, I went to LinkedIn to confirm and get a general sense of, okay, how many of these people are on LinkedIn? Uh, I found over 890 on LinkedIn. So that seems pretty reasonable, the, the thousand number uh, that they've been, they've been claiming. And about 75% of those are in the R&D and engineering teams. So 750 or so engineers. So there are people, real engineers working on real stuff. And to give you a sense of some of the caliber of the people, they have over 130 folks from uh, former Tesla employees and 60 people who are former Apple uh, employees. Um, and so, you know, a thousand people sounds like a lot without having shipped a car, um, considering, you know, many startups like Instagram had 10 people when they were acquired by Facebook. So for a tech company, a thousand people is quite a lot. Um, but if you look back at Tesla, uh, when they were, you know, two years uh, from the Model S, which is, uh, you know, a little bit similar to where Faraday Future claims to be, they sort of hope to have their first sedan out in two years, which we'll talk about. Tesla had 900 people. So, you know, it's not, they're, they're in the right ballpark for where Tesla was. And then when Tesla actually launched the Model S in 2012, they had 3,000 employees. Okay, so, so Tesla had around the same number of people, but at that point they were using the, the sleds from Lotus though, right? Like correct. They were, they yeah, were, they so they the, were not actually building the, the structure of the vehicle. Well, yeah, right at that point is when they started ramping up the Model S production, which was when they really started going. Because when they, when they shipped the Roadster in 2008-ish, they had a few hundred people. So, okay. um, so, they, so yeah, Faraday Future has skipped the sort of partnering with a different company to build... Um, a super, super low volume car. Um, so, you know, <laughs> they're going to build a super low volume car on their own. <laughs> yeah. They're going to build it on their own and, and charge a lot for it. So we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Sorry, I'm skipping it. No, 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 it's good. So, so some of the people, um, so, so the main person, uh, the, the main person who actually spoke on stage, this guy named Nick Sampson, uh, he's their uh, senior vice president, SVP and of R and D and engineering. And he's interesting because he had two years at Tesla uh, in the 2010 to 2012 era. 
Um, and then nine years before that, he was at Lotus. So he was one of their main guys for the uh, Roadster program. And before that, he had spent 16 years at Jaguar. So a car guy through and through, an engineer. And at Tesla, he was working on the engineering uh, and the architecture for the Model S. So um, he was pretty influential at Tesla early on and, and definitely spent a lot of time on, on the Model S and then also worked on um, some of the early work for Model X before he left. Um, so Nick Sampson's one of their main people. Another major executive they have is this guy named Dag Reckhorn, uh, who's a head of manufacturing. That's not a real name, is it? It is. Um, <laughs> and he spent three and a half years at Tesla, and he was the director of manufacturing uh, from tw 2009 to 2013. Uh, and so he spent most of the time working on the manufacturing process uh, and the equipment needed for Model S. So the body shop, uh, the body in white, which is the car without any electronics, just all the metal, uh, all the plastics and paint. And he also did final assembly. Um, so another Tesla guy obviously worked with Nick Sampson is their head of manufacturing. And then I got another guy uh, who leads human resources, this guy named Alan Cherry, who spent four and a half years at Tesla. Uh, and he was the head of human resources from 2008 to 2012. Um, so he, he went from a few hundred employees to 2,000 at Tesla. They had another guy named Tom Westner, who was at Tesla for a year and a half in charge of uh, all the purchasing for Model S. Um, and then they have a designer... Uh, Richard Kim, who was at Volkswagen Audi for two years, and he was at BMW for eight years before that. And he designed the i3, so the, the electric i3, and then also the i8. Um, so he was there for quite a while. And then their head of powertrain at Faraday Future, this woman named Silva Hitti, uh, spent 14 years at GM and was in charge of all the electric powertrains at GM. And interestingly, before that was at Hughes Aircraft, which actually is a company that developed the software for the EV1, uh, GM's first uh, electric oh, car. interesting. Yeah, and, and I was like, Hughes Aircraft, why were they working with GM? And apparently GM in the 80s bought Hughes Aircraft, and then they sold it to a con consortium after they realized they didn't really need all of Hughes Aircraft. <laughs> um, but Hughes Aircraft apparently still did a lot of uh, work with um, uh, electric motors and, and uh, algorithms and such, and, and they did some work for GM for the EV1. And then the last person I'll note uh, is this guy named Hong Bei, who is in charge of the advanced driver assistance systems and self-driving at Faraday. And he spent three years at Fisker, which was that sort of failed electric car company. Mm -hmm. just uh, saw, I just saw Fisker this week. Yeah. So <laughs> there's still a few of them floating around. And um, so he was in charge of the control systems and the ADAS there. And then before that, he was a GM and he was... Uh, actually in charge of the DARPA project that DM did, GM did, uh, the BOSS vehicle, which was the winning vehicle for the first completely autonomous uh, robotic 60-mile race in a city. Oh, okay. So some chops there. Um, so, you know, when you, look, when you look at some of their senior leadership, almost all of them have been at Tesla. They've all worked together at some, in some capacity. So it, it isn't as if these are brand new, fresh out of college uh, students or only legacy automaker folks. Uh, these are a lot of ex-Tesla people, a lot of ex-electric um, uh, vehicle folks, and people who've been working on advanced driver stuff and self-driving for a while. So I think uh, no matter what you've heard about Faraday Future, you have to give them credit for having very high quality people, or at least people who know 
this industry and have been in the electric car making world. So, you know, if you had to grade them, I would give them a pretty high grade on the talent <laughs> they have. Okay, so they've got around a thousand people, some very high name people. They're in an expensive area like Los Angeles. You know, around a thousand people, you're probably talking at least a couple hundred million a year just in payroll. Um, so how are they like funding all of this if they have yet to sell a single vehicle? Yes, they have raised a lot of funding. Um, so they have raised funding primarily from the uh, billionaire uh, Jia Yating, who started uh, LeTV, um, which was in uh, China. And it's basically a Chinese media firm. And the layman's translation for them is basically they're, they're sort of like the Netflix of China. Uh, okay. And so he invested about $300 million of his own money so far. Um, and he's not the only funder. Um, uh, he's made a public statement because they had to disclose some of their funding uh, when they went to start to build their factory, which we'll touch on. Uh, he had said, Gia had said, uh, together with top global experts, we've created a partnership structure for decision making and management of Faraday's future. Um, and one of the other reasons he said that is there's no CEO. Faraday Future does not have a CEO. <laughs> um, and so it's this really interesting thing where this guy, Gia, who's 40 or 40 ish years old, uh, who is the executive at uh, Lashi Internet Information and Technology, um, you know, that he, he's worth uh, $7.9 billion. So he's definitely a billionaire. He's more of a billionaire than, than Elon Musk was. Um, when he started Tesla. And it's similar, there's some similarities, right? Where um, Elon Musk was the primary funder for Tesla for quite a, for the first round of funding. Then they brought in uh, Draper Fisher Jurvetson and a few others. Um, but he was one of the main investors. But he didn't and, pretend to not be the CEO though. Well, he wasn't the CEO, exactly. He, he wasn't involved, he was a chairman. And, and so uh, Faraday Future had a CEO and they lost them recently. Okay. Uh, and so it looks like G is stepping in and acting as the interim sort of CEO from afar. But I mean, he's in China most of the time. So um, they, they have raised probably another couple hundred million dollars from other folks. So maybe four or 500 million. Have they gone through standard uh, venture rounds or is he like- It doesn't look an, like it. So he's just an enormous angel investor? Yeah, it looks like it's been this just a, a large infusion of cash a la Steve Jobs sort of for Pixar where he kind of seems to be funding it month to month because there was a big <laughs> expose from BuzzFeed of all places where um, they found out that um, there's been many lawsuits against the company for, for unpaid debts. Um, and the current estimation is the company has about $300 million in debt with suppliers who are suing. Um, and one very concrete example is that a company, uh, Futurist, which is a company that makes seats, um, they've been working with them for seat prototypes, and they currently owe over $10 million uh, to Futurist, and $7 million of which is more than 30 days overdue, just for their seat program for uh, monitor, you know, sort of uh, pre-production seats for the prototypes. Um, and these, so these must be like massaging seats or something. These sound they actually very, are like very expensive. Seats. No, they were definitely very expensive. And I, it kind of caught me off guard how expensive the prototypes were for these seats. But, um, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty high end seats, but still, uh, sort of gives you a sense of the scope of just a seat program alone. They've spent over $10 million or they at least owe at least $10 million on the seats. So it sounds like on a month to month basis, some former employees have said that, uh, sometimes they don't have enough cash in the bank. And so he'll have to wire them money. 
So, you know, with a thousand employees and sort of running month to month and so much in debt, the finances are definitely quite precarious. And they've also, um, you know, to, to actually make these cars, they've decided to build a factory and that factory is slated to cost over a billion dollars. And so, you know, they're, so when you say risk, yeah, when you say they decided to build a factory, is that like in in lieu of like what, what would the alternative be? Like that they would contract with like some sort of like Foxconn type company to build it? Yeah, okay. yeah. So there there are there is the option to work with another manufacturer or um, contract builders like Magna, and also there are there are more and more companies in China that are building cars that would like to. Uh, have production in the u.s or have sold be sold in the u.s and so i mean surely foxconn will be doing that at some point yeah i think so for sure um and so they've decided to build their own factory uh, in north las vegas uh so also another factory in nevada um you know we uh we know another company building a big gigafactory in nevada <laughs> um and so yeah they decided to build a factory there to produce the car so you know you you need a team uh, to, you know, run the company and, and design the thing. You need money. So they've had enough money to get to where they are and, and where they are is pretty impressive for um, two years of work. Uh, hiring a thousand people in two years is ridiculous and, and pretty, pretty impressive nonetheless. But um, yeah, their finances do seem to be pretty troublesome. And, uh, you know, the, this um, Gia guy does have you know, stock worth billions of dollars, but his company doesn't throw off that much profit. And he's, you know, had some downturns in his own, uh, other companies he's funding. So he's sort of trying to, he's, he's sort of claimed that he doesn't quite have the free resources to invest in all these projects anymore. Yeah. Okay. Well, very similar to, to Elon, I guess, as well, when he started Tesla or when he joined uh, Tesla. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you say he doesn't have his company's not throwing off profit, you're talking about his other company, the Netflix of China, obviously yes. not, not this one, which is very, very far from throwing off a profit. Yeah, exactly. Um, the company that he runs has a few billion dollars in revenue, but only around 50 million in, in profit. Um, so, you know, it's a stock, he could sell some of his stock, but, um, it isn't, it isn't as if, uh, that billions of dollars in cash, uh, it's, it's in stock. He's illiquid. Yeah, exactly. He's illiquid right now, but he's the 17th richest person in China. Um, and there's quite a few billionaires in China. So, um, but yeah, he has an interest in this and, and he's also running another company, um, Le Echo Le C, which is a car division of his primary company, uh, which is building cars in China, but those are built on the Faraday future technology. So it's oh, this weird okay. thing. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you to, to kind of explain that because I didn't quite understand what was going on there. It sounded like he was like kind of funding Coke and Pepsi, but it sounds like it's more of like Ford and Mercury. Yeah, it's um, they have the China uh, variation, even though Faraday Future wants to sell cars in China. So it's this slightly unusual thing. Um, and Does Faraday not translate well into Cantonese or Mandarin? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it, I think it may have something to do with that company, like China, wanting to have local companies producing the cars and some of the tariffs they have on vehicle imports. Um, that if it's a Chinese company, it will have different um, tax implications mm. uh, for selling the cars in China. So they're sharing the technology uh, and design platform. Um, but the Faraday folks are definitely the larger of the teams, um, and yeah, I mean, he's he's visited them and, and comes over from time to time. So 
he's, he's facilit- definitely he's the, the he's the conduit for facilitating the synergy between those teams yes that is the uh, that is the buzzword filled way so um <laughs> yeah they, they you know they they need to build these cars at some po- at some point and you know you you can't uh build a car without uh, a factory and because they're not going the path of tesla with uh the first car being produced by a third party like they did with lotus um you know tesla bought the numi plant and that's where they were building the model s um and so they bought an existing uh, automotive plant for a song which was pretty impressive i think they bought it for 40 or so million dollars so really really cheap um so the planned cost for the Faraday Future plant is over a billion dollars. Um, they expect it to be about 3.2 million square feet. Um, so the Tesla one, for example, is 5 million square feet. So smaller than the Tesla factory, but um, still pretty big. Um, so and they, they, are there any other cars that are made in like the Las Vegas area? I guess I'm kind of wondering why... Um, I keep hearing a lot about like, you know, the Detroit area and all the other like traditional car making areas with all these like abandoned facilities. And if Tesla stepped in and took one of the facility, the traditional car maker facilities here in California, if you're looking around, you might actually try and explore other uh, kind of abandoned facilities as mm-hmm. like uh, kind of, I don't know, possibly like accelerators. Uh, did, did they talk about that at all? Yeah, they didn't. They didn't talk about um I couldn't find anyone, any of any statements by them saying they were going to try and buy any older plants from GM or Ford or um, anything like that. It, um, I guess, it actually is more rare uh, that any of these factories actually do come up for for sale. I mean, um, even just like a large plot of land with some like railroad infrastructure and probably some really desperate municipalities looking to to give you any sort of incentive to to bring something in. It, it just seems weird that that they would strike uh, out in Las Vegas instead of trying to leverage uh, some fire sale assets. Well, apparently uh, Nevada is giving them a pretty good deal. They're getting $215 million in tax credits and abatements and then $120 million in infrastructure improvements at the park where the project is. So they did seem to get a pretty good um, compensation deal from Nevada to build there. Uh, so I think Nevada is definitely trying to become the new manufacturing hub for electric cars. Um, and I think part of it too is that I think they certainly expect to have a fair number of the vehicles um, uh, consumed in, in the California West Coast region and then also overseas. And so you know, shipping the cars to the Los Angeles port is shorter than doing it from Michigan. Oh, um, gotcha. Yeah. And I think they also think they're going to be able to um, have more access to, to labor in, in that area. Um, and right. And probably just, cl- and less environmental concerns. <laughs> well, and, and closer to their sort of design and corporate headquarters right. facilities. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, cool. So let's, um, can we talk a little bit about the vehicle then or the, the car that they're making? Yeah, I guess one more thing on the production side. Uh, so one of, one of the other components of actually being able to produce the vehicles is the battery packs that goes within them, right? So Tesla uh-huh. has the Fremont factory for production of the vehicles, and then they have the Gigafactory. But before they had the Gigafactory, they were just receiving cells from Panasonic, and then they would build them into the packs. So Faraday Future is going with LG Chem, Um that's so, who's doing the Chevy ones too, right? The, yes. For the Bolt and the Volt. Yes, yes. Okay. So LG is providing the cells 
and uh, they've apparently worked together with Faraday to try and build the highest energy density cell for a production automotive battery. But we'll <laughs> see if that's true when the, when, you know, when the, yeah. uh, the electronics industry out. does not have a good track record in the past year with Korean companies who are trying to build high density batteries. Yeah. Uh, as you're reminded every time you get on an airplane. Oh yeah. I, yeah, I was on an airplane a couple times over the holiday and it was such bad branding for Samsung. Oh my gosh. <laughs> have yeah. the pilot come on and say, do not use your Samsung note. And like, oh boy, <laughs> that's a pretty rough. I mean, if I was a Samsung employee, that would be pretty, yeah, it's pretty not demoralizing. Good. Um, so yeah, they're working with LG and, and that's pretty, pretty important to have a top tier supplier, uh, have a commitment and, it's apparently over a billion dollar commitment uh, pre-purchase for these for these batteries. So, um, what does that mean, though? Like, what does a billion dollar commitment mean? Well, I think it just means that they're going to earmark those cells for Faraday Future, um, and okay. they're going to commit to being able to provide that many. Whether or not Faraday Future is actually going to be around or be able to consume them is a different question. Okay, yeah. um, that was my question. But yeah, it's. I think it's just not like, oh, we're going to go on the internet and do an open market order for these, you know, 18, <laughs> You can't go on cells. Alibaba and, and right. find that. <laughs> I think that's what they're doing right now. <laughs> that's probably what they did on day one uh, <laughs> to do some prototypes. But um, again, sort of going to the Tesla background, like they, they have people who have had these contracts and, and I'm, I would, I don't think it's a surprise. It's not Panasonic, which is Tesla's sort of major partner. Uh, LG Chem is sort of the the second uh, second largest out there. So um, went They're with all them. Pairing up, exactly. So yeah. So let's get to the car. Um, so <laughs> in 2016, so at last year's CES, Faraday Future was saying we're going to show off a car. People were getting excited and and were like, okay, what's this car going to be? And they showed off a car that looked like the Batmobile. It was, they called it the FF01, and it was not a concept car, Mike, but a car of concepts. <laughs> oh, my God, that's even worse. Yes. <laughs> and, it and it was demonstrating some of their advanced technology. Um, and their, It was like they're not their advanced technology, but the ideas of their advanced technology, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not advanced technology at this point. Right. And it was a single, it was a one seater, you know, it looked like a formula one bat mobile kind of thing. Oh, so, so you're never going to get in the carpool lane. No, that would never, never work. Um, so people were really frustrated by that because they had teased that they were going to show off a car and people expected it to be a car that, you know, even, even the major brands show off concept cars that are at least tilting towards, you know, a consumer passenger vehicle. But they showed off this sort of race car looking thing. But they said, oh, it's built on our, our, uh, our adjustable platform and has a thousand horsepower and has all these electronics and all these things that are going to be part of our electric car. And people just couldn't, obviously, for, for good reason, make the connection to what their future car would actually be. So that was 2016, same time, one year ago. This year uh, at CES, they actually did unveil their real car, and it's called the FF91. Uh, so the Faraday Future 9-1. Okay, can we start there? Like, what what the hell kind of name is that? That is awful. That, that is just terrible. FF91. So the car company now, they like to go by the name FF. They don't like to be called Faraday Future. Their website is ff.com. So I think they're trying to be like BMW or uh, I'm trying to think VW. F, so so they're FF. FF is an inherently unpleasant 
letter to say. And even when you do actually say it, it has very negative connotations, like F this, F that. Like, no one actually <laughs> says that about great things. Yes. Like, FF, is, and FF, it's just, the mouthfeel is just terrible. Like, that's a difficult and awful thing to say and hear. Yes, I agree. FF is not a fun phrase to utter. It's a freaking um, failure. It's a freaking failure. So there'll be lots of uh, memes around FF. And then 9-1, not quite sure. No, no one who was at the event could get them to explain what the 91 stood for. My best bet is that 91 is the, so I would say it's the 9 is like the series. And that's going to be like their top of the line series, the 9. And the 1 is the version. This is the first version of the 9 series. So it's the Faraday Future 9, like Series 9, 1, similar to like the 8, like the BMW 7 or, uh, you know, the Audi 8. So that's my hunch because they've hinted that their next car is going to be slightly lower priced and be the FF 8 one. This is ridiculous. Um, my guess is that the FF 9 one is the IRS form they're going to have to file when they file for bankruptcy. <laughs> Did you file your form FF 9 one? So, uh, I mean, the 911 is, you know, a pretty historic car uh, model. I don't think. Yeah, but it's, it's not the AP 911. It's the 911. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just terrible. Like, what? Uh, do, they have a thousand people on payroll and all this. And do they not have any, like, branding people? Like, this is horrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But let's, let's be honest. The Tesla Model S, Model X, I mean, they're not. It's not inspired naming That's not, the same way yeah. the three series is not inspired of the, the Audi sure. A5. But it's not awful. Well, I mean, I guess S and the Model X, I think, is pretty bad. I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's a very good one. But yeah, anyways, I, this is particularly bad. I think it's tough, too, because it's not the 91. It's 9-1, which also means that it, there will be a 9-2 and 9-3 and 9-4. But then we're going to have the same issue we have with, with OS 10 or Mac OS, where it's like, okay, we're tipping over from 10 to 11. I mean, maybe this will never be a problem for them because they'll never get there. But um, <laughs> well, it just looks like a four digit hex number. So they would just go to FFA1, FFA2. Yeah. OK, so the car is called FF91. Uh, here is the uh, the the primary statement from their press release and we'll, we'll unpack it. So it's <laughs> built upon the company's variable platform architecture. FF91 represents a bold new breed of electric mobility that combines a supercar performance, precise handling, the comfort of an ultra-luxury passenger vehicle, and a unique collection of intelligent internet features. And at their event, uh, they said they were unveiling a new species of car that was the combination of an SUV, a van, a sports car, a sedan, a crossover, an SUV. Oh, wait, I already said that. They did too. Uh, all oh into God. one. They're making the Homer car from the Simpsons. Yes, yeah, just everything. everything. Their, their statement was it was every car you could need in one. Um, that video was was just, it was almost like a parody of some sort of like broad corporate bland video. Like if you ever seen, there's a, there was a sitcom years ago called Better Off Ted, which mm. was hilarious. And the, the running joke was that it was a corporation called Viridian Dynamics or something. Mm. And they always had these like hilarious commercials about the synergies and the, you know, world changing ideas. And, you know, it was like their, one of their ideas was like a 
bathroom towel dispenser that dispensed less towels than and saved you money it was the towel miser nice anyways it, it just was like so over the top that it seemed like a parody yeah so mike's referring to the ces video which is available on youtube i'll i'll add the link into the show notes so that it's actually available um it literally it's almost as though someone took the worst parts of the tesla videos the tesla announcements and and that sort of stuff and the, the online videos of those and amped them up to 11 there's like cheering and it's weird and there's like lots of abstract meaningless terms being thrown out and ugly vehicle coming through and, and anyways it was it's really something I, I recommend watching it yeah the opening was particularly vapid because talking about you know this extremely high highfalutin concepts of we're going to we're not just going to build an electric car is it even a car at all it's a mobility platform and we're building an <laughs> ecosystem that recognizes you and you can watch movies and television and it's an ai and it knows you and it's not a car it's a new species of vehicle and the guy's like, it's the most advanced vehicle, and it's we're going to go live right now to this thousand horsepower exotic vehicle, and it's parking itself in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the most boring transition you could possibly make after that buildup. Yeah, so I, I feel like they really oversold it, and if they had just come out and said, look, we built this amazing car, we really think there's opportunity for a higher-end luxury car, um, and you know, every car is going to be electric, so there's there's room for the in the market and we this is what we want to contribute i think it would have been better received but when i watched it it was really hard not to sort of giggle at how over the top they were and so whoever is running their branding and pr sort of communication strategy i feel like is it just it just makes it really hard to take them seriously because you're like if you believe that you're reinventing mobility with this car that's going to be available to maybe a few thousand people you're you're high on something like you're smoking something pretty <laughs> strong um so, so to the details um what they what they claim the vehicle will do is it will have a 130 kilowatt hour battery pack it will have a 378 mile range it will do zero to 60 in 2.39 seconds uh and that uh it will you know basically be a thousand plus horsepower all-wheel drive three motors all wheel steering, so the back wheels will will turn as well. Um, wait, wait, I'm sorry, three motors? <laughs> yeah, two in the rear, one in the front. Torque vectoring. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. that's weird. I, I I would have thought you would go with two or four. <laughs> yeah, they went with three. Um, three seems like the worst of both worlds. No, two in the back is okay. One for each rear rear wheel, and then the front. Uh, because apparently the front wheel drive won't always. That's an option. So the front motor might be optional. Um, and it's going to have two LTE modems, one for the <laughs> telematics and one for the built-in Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, it's going to have... important things covered. So, yeah, it's going to have um, facial recognition, so you don't need a key. And so there's a screen on the B pillar, so right above where the door handle is and that sort of section that's in the car door. Apparently, there's going to be a camera there and recognize you. And then when you sit in the seat, there's a camera watching you in the rearview mirror, which isn't a rearview mirror. It's an LCD, and it will adjust its seat to you. Um, Yeah, I mean, the back seats are going to be like uh, uh, sort of first-class seats. They're going to have the more reclined than a Maybach. Uh, They're going to have massage. jump in on the... On the Maybach thing too, because I I heard they kept talking about Maybach over and over again, which was hilarious because Maybach wasn't 
I mean, that was a failed luxury car company that like kind of stopped selling a few years ago and then has been like revived by Mercedes. Yeah. But it was so odd that they kept bringing that up. Like, why would you try and associate yourself with that brand? That seems like a, a tainted luxury brand at the moment. So the, the big reason I think they are is Maybach is most popular in China. For, oh. for people who have chauffeurs, the Maybach is the pinnacle of the chauffeured vehicle and there, there's more Maybach sold in china than the rest of the world combined fascinating they, they sell about 500 that. a month yeah i mean i know they were big in like rap videos back in like 2012 2013 and then they stopped selling them so they went back to bentley's and whatnot yeah so, yeah yeah so the mercedes i guess it's the s600 Maybach edition is sort of um yeah the highest end if you're super rich um a couple other features that caught my eye, the doors are suicide doors. Uh, they call them gateway doors, um, which basically means that it opens uh, fully. And so the, the back hinge is on the rear of the vehicle instead of the B pillar. Um, and what were some of the... Oh, one of the things I did think was pretty cool is the, all the glass apparently uses this uh, PDLC, polymer dispersed liquid crystal, in all the glass. So you tap on, on the glass and it will privacy shield like some of those really high-end offices in like uh 24 and stuff yeah that was pretty cool that uh, was kind of neat um i thought the external the i don't know if it was a cool implementation but the idea of the sort of external display was kind of interesting where like the outside of the car was almost like a jumbotron oh the pulsing they, lights sort of LED yeah i mean is, it, it was kind of a cheesy demo of it but i my my take was that they it was meant to be when you're in doing like autonomous driving, having some ability to like signal to the outside world, like what the car kind of the intent of the vehicle. Yeah. They said that too. They, they also said like when the, so it has um, LIDAR oh. and their LIDAR positioning is in the hood. Yeah. So can it, we talk about that? It, a glowing orb. It looked like they glued an Amazon echo onto the, yeah, onto it looks the like hood. An echo. You're right. Yeah, the but dot. it also, it also kind of harkened back to a Mr. Fusion too, from back to the future with, on the back of the DeLorean and back oh, right, to the future right. too. Yes, yeah, the, it, uh, the the coffee pot. Right, right. The yeah, the Mister Fusion. <laughs> so, so it, I, apparently this thing's going to one point twenty one gigawatts. So apparently, yeah, it it pops up when it moves into self driving, and they were like excited that this was going to communicate to pedestrians and other road users that the car is in self driving mode. And I'm like, no, it's how, not. It's not that it, no one is going to know that when that thing is active that it's in self driving mode separate from when it's down. That's no. just that's just a pipe dream. That's ridiculous. So maybe if it was like a Knight Rider red sweep going back and forth, people might think it was kind of a in kit mode. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it needs to project something onto the roadway. And even then, you can't rely on people knowing what's happening. I, no one knows what's happening with any cars and pedestrians aren't even looking at the cars. Like that just seems like a really f dumb way to think about, oh, the car is going to communicate with pedestrians. It's like Oh, so so in your opinion, that was the part of the presentation that was detached from reality? Okay, no. That that was a very <laughs> minor part. Um, it was part and parcel. But this thing is loaded with sensors. So it has the LiDAR, 10 cameras, 13 radars, and 12 ultrasonics. So <laughs> it has LiDAR, which the Teslas don't have. It has two more cameras than the Teslas have. It has 12 more radars. Tesla has one radar. This guy is apparently going to have 13 radars. But it has the same ultrasonics. So, and well, uh, how much computing power does it have to process all of this sensor input? Apparently, it has the most. So, <laughs> of course, it does. <laughs> it has the superlative amount of computing power, Mike. <laughs> it doesn't actually have a trunk, though, because it's full of a yeah. mainframe computer. <laughs> yeah, you kind of have to keep it 
you know, uh, tethered to AWS. So <laughs> also, you can't cross the border too because there are export restrictions on bringing that much computing <laughs> that much power compute, around. Yeah, that yeah. much mercury floating around um, <laughs> in gold. Um, oh, also, the rearview mirrors uh, are, are are cameras, but because regulation doesn't allow that yet, they have um, pop on mirrors that you can pop off when the regulations come through for the rear view mirrors um, being cameras. Um, and uh, yeah, those were some of the main things. So the, the length of the vehicle, so the, the, the form factoring of it, of it, it's 206 in- inches in length. That's 10 inches longer than a Model S. This is a very large vehicle. That would literally not fit in my garage. It's 10 inches more wheelbase as, mo- as well. So there's a lot more interior occupant space. It's kind of like when you see a Bentley on the road, too. You, yeah. you see photos of a Bentley, and you're like, oh, okay, it's a vehicle. But you don't realize that in every single dimension, it's been scaled a little bit. <laughs> so, so even though it looks like a normal vehicle, it's actually huge. And it's three inches wider than a Model S. And a Model S is a quite a wide vehicle. This thing is going to be a beast to park. And it's like driving I, a Hummer around. It's huge. Humvee huge vehicle i mean it's one of the largest vehicles in its like in any class of a sedan and what's interesting is what do you think this is i can't tell if it's a sedan or a van or an suv the shape of it is unlike anything i've really seen before and well it looks like a supersized version of this like crossover vehicle that's popular at the moment yeah, it's but, weird because it's so stretched out and the and the like the roof line's so compressed down that it, it in if you squint at it you're like, oh it's a it's like a, a station wagon. But then from <laughs> other angles it looks like uh like the the some of the ra- uh, Range Rovers, like the really compressed new Range Rovers where like the hood is yeah. or the, the roof is super squared off. Um and then sometimes it looks like an SUV. I can't tell. Yeah, I think it looks like, you know, it looks like it looks like one of the police cars from the 1990s movie Demolition Man, Mm. which which I guess is to say that with like a lot of these concept vehicles, it just looks like a movie prop. It looks like they're just trying to make something that looks different and futuristic. And, you know, there you go. But apparently this is their production intent. So like this is the general design that we'll be shipping. Um, Like the front is interesting. It's got a, a, a monocular sort of headlight system. It, it has a single band of light around the front. Um, and then the rear also is a single, like, unified light beam for the for the brake lights. So Sure, why not? <laughs> I, feel, I feel like all of these, I, I want to respond with the, the Jurassic Park, Jeff Goldblum meme image of, like, your scientists were so busy asking if they could do it, they didn't ask if they should. <laughs> Where it's yeah. just like they're just doing something because they can. Like, none of the, I, I, I think even just with the specs, too, like, I mean, is there really like an enormous addressable market of people who for whom like the P100D is just a little bit not quite big enough and not quite fast enough? Like, I really wish my P100D could go zero to 60 in three tenths of a second faster. I mean, I just don't understand the the market that they're going for other than like maybe like you're saying the ultra rich who want the most expensive thing, even if it's just you know, gold-plated bullshit that they want that and they're going to have their driver drive them around in that. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely something to be said in the automotive world for having the best something. So if you have the quickest car, the highest speed car, the largest car, the most expensive car, uh, people people who buy many cars, like this is not going to be a car 
for whom you're considering a Honda Civic, a Toyota Corolla, or the FF91. That is, that is <laughs> never going to happen. It's like, hmm, should I buy this $150,000 to $200,000 vehicle or a practical Honda Fit? Uh, that's never going to be the buyer. So for someone who's going to buy a $150,000 to $200,000 car, this is in the class of the sort of, yeah, the Mybox, the, uh, the Bentley Bottegas and the crazy Bentleys and Lamborghini SUVs and people for whom this might be their fifth or sixth or seventh or eighth car. And so I think they need a reason to say like this car exists in my garage because it is the quickest accelerating car available or it is the most comfortable car for me to sit in the back of. Uh, and have my driver drive me or it can it can self park itself so when I go to restaurants it's kind of fun to have it park itself at the restaurant Um, and I do think that's important for it to get attention and to get on the radar of these super rich folks who maybe aren't paying attention to our podcast for instance or CES um, but they want to have sort of the highest end available of anything um do you think so, that's like that justifies though, like a multi-thousand-person company and multi-billion-dollar production facilities, like selling however many possible uh, billionaire eighth vehicles? But don't you think that's? This, I mean, for me, that's this, the question. This seems very. This seems like they've they've ripped the exact same philosophy from Tesla. Rather than starting with a Roadster, which was the same general concept, they've decided to do it with this strange high-end more luxury version of what the roadster was so they're expressing an intent to to i mean they they want to they want to do like 10 vehicles by 2024 they've said so do they think uh, yeah i guess i mean i i think that the what what strikes me as weird is like tesla is like uh is working within the sort of defined parameters that exist like bmw sells a seven series and and mercedes has an s class and they also have like lower end vehicles like the three series or the one series mm-hmm. and the S class or the C class or the, even the CLA or whatever. Um, but Bentley doesn't have a $30,000 vehicle. You know, Maybach doesn't have, I mean, probably maybe to their detriment, uh, yeah. Ferrari doesn't like, I feel like once you start like going like sufficiently above the high end Teslas, can you actually like, have a brand that encompasses a everyday vehicle and an ultra luxury vehicle? Well, I think the point is that they certainly can't get to the everyday vehicle unless they start with a higher volume, like lower volume, higher price car. I think that the, the failing, failing of many analysts was that they expected Tesla's intention was just to build luxury cars, even though they said this is not our goal. This is just sort of a means to how we fund ourselves day to day to get started. And I think that the the Maybox and the Bentleys and the Ferraris, um, you know, they they were built in and created in an area of craft manufacturing and not mass production. And the weird thing with these is that they're being built in factories by robots, um, but still sort of commanding the price of some of these hand built cars. Uh, I was just reading um, that the uh, that major British oh, I can't I think of it the James Bond cars Aston uh, Martin the Aston Martins have only sold like a few th- like ten thousand or something in their entire lifetime um, 
Seriously? And, I feel like I see dozens of them every day. Yeah, apparently it's <laughs> Maybe very, that's just very, this area. Yeah, very, very small number of Aston Martins have ever been sold, and you know they're still built by hand. Um, and so I, I don't—it doesn't— it doesn't phase me that they're trying to go after a super high-end market because it's a brand new car company. And we already know that Tesla is going to have a tough time making the Model 3 happen and how much resource it's costing to make the Model 3 happen that you couldn't start there. You you wouldn't be able to get 150,000, 200,000 people lining up for this car uh, out of nowhere. Like it has to start small and they have to build the trust and, and reputation and doing that with a super high-end clientele where you can stuff a ton of tech in and get a lot of press and a lot of attention for a car that ultimately won't sell in very high volume is remove some of the risk of making a car that is reasonable because a reasonable car doesn't get that much attention. Um, you know, making a Chevy Bolt isn't nearly as interesting as trying to do this car. Um, and getting people to lust after it, I think is, is worthwhile. What I'm concerned about is that they seem to have so many behind the scene troubles, even more so than Tesla had, that I think it's debatable whether or not this car actually ships. Um, (laughs) well, that's always going to be a problem. This is kind of like a giant Kickstarter. Yeah. It seems extremely risky that all, a lot of this funding and a lot of this investment and all these people's time could go for naught. And even if they get this car out, they still have like I mean they've got I mean Tesla has like six or seven years on them from you know actual production kind of work and coming up on ten years of you know time on their own programs. How do so? How do you think that that this company would deal with um, like just getting these vehicles to people? Like we were I mean I guess the past few episodes, if you're listening to our program sequentially, uh, we've been talking about car dealerships and basically like sales and service and distribution, um, and that's not even touching on like the supercharger network that Tesla has built out to to sort of lay the foundation for their vehicles or their the use of their vehicles. How is something like uh, Faraday Future going to deal with selling the vehicles, getting the vehicles to people, and like uh, charging the vehicles? <laughs> yeah, that sort of stuff. <clears throat> yeah, so they've they've decided to start with reservations for the cars. So very similar to what Tesla did. Um, so you can go on the <laughs> FF dot com and put down a five thousand dollar deposit for a vehicle. Uh, oh, this first, is a Kickstarter. Do you get a T-shirt too if they, well, if they if hit the goal? The first 300, you get the option to upgrade in March of this year to the exclusive launch series, which they're calling the Alliance Edition, Ooh. which is similar to the Signature Edition. So they've they've taken many pages from the Tesla book for sure. Um, and they intend to focus on the U.S. and China. Uh, those They expect to be their biggest markets. Not a surprise considering their funding source. Um and they also believe that uh, you may not even buy the vehicle. You might subscribe to it as a service. So they've got some wacky ideas. Um, I guess wacky isn't fair. Uh, well, anything is possible when it's five years in the distance and nothing yeah, shipping. Yeah, I mean, they, they expect uh, the car to be available some point in 2018. So, They're still in the, in the sort of IDEO brainstorming world they're still yeah. in the generative steps here. they're still they're, in the generative yeah any of <laughs> they this haven't gone possible. to evaluation yet i mean so their factory they have graded 
They have the ground smoothed and flattened, ready to build on. But they've stopped production because they didn't have enough money to pay their contractors. So uh, for the past few months, construction on their factory has been halted. So that gives you a bit of a sense of sort of where they're at. Like they are not full tilt ahead on even the production. I mean, their factory is held up because they don't have enough money to pay the bills for their contractor. So it, their factory is basically at the same state as festival parking at a concert. Yeah, it's flat ground. It's, it's, it's a flat field. Yeah, yeah that, so that's that's where they're at with their factory. And they showed a video in their in their in the demo in the CES presentation of bulldozers moving dirt around as excitement for their factory. And I was like, you guys just have level ground. You haven't built anything on this factory. You haven't even poured concrete yet. So uh, they they have a while to go and. I mean, this is tough because I think even if I wasn't paying attention to Tesla, I would still view this company as extremely risky. I don't think any investor or observer could say anything less than this is extremely risky. But they did have three vehicles at CES. They had one which was sort of the fully outfitted, pretty looking one. They had, And then they had two, one which was doing the autonomous driving demos for folks, which was doing their parking. It would find a parking spot and park. Uh, and then they had another one which was doing their performance demos of the zero to 60 time and sort of some of their slalom stuff. So they had vehicles that were very performant and doing what they said. So it isn't as if it's total vaporware. This isn't just sort of like we think this is possible and it's only sketches. They do have real work. They do have real people working on this every single day. I don't doubt that one bit. The question is, as Tesla has proven, it takes immense energy and effort and luck and sort of everything coming together to get to being a new car company. And they're trying to be the next major, like the next car company. And that's just extremely difficult to pull off. And not many people have ever done it. And they seem to be approaching it with sort of a, uh, a lack of depth and clarity and thinking that Tesla with Elon Musk at the helm, who is an incredibly strong thinker has still struggled to make it happen. Uh, it doesn't it just seems like an incredibly difficult task so well and it seems like the the sales pitch to to bring people on board this venture is a little bit less compelling that it might been from elon musk like trying to get people to be the first people to do this and now it's more like we we want to be like tesla but better maybe or just different and it's like it's not quite as compelling of a of a pitch i guess at least it wouldn't be to me um, so you mentioned the, the autonomy too, like, and I, I, we've been going for a while here, so we don't want to drag this on too much longer, but the, I did have some questions around that. Did they talk about, um, are they partnering with someone like a, a Mobileye or one of these other, uh, self-driving companies, or are they also trying to take that fully in-house as well? It sounds like they're doing it all in-house. Oh, yeah. man. They are not part, they did not announce any partners with Mobileye or, anyone else for that so they are doing it themselves wow yeah and they have an ADAS team uh and the thing they showed off uh many of the other demos at ces were sort of open road courses uh and what they showed off was the sort of self-parking right. so you Which get is out something of the car that, like, and it, vehicles have been doing for ages well, I mean, this was certainly a little bit more advanced, right? Because uh, what the cars do today is you are uh, at the parking spot and then you click the park button and you're still sitting there and then it parks and you get out. What they were showing uh, was you are at a sort of 
beginning of the parking lot, you get out and the car looks for a parking spot. It finds a parking spot and it parks itself. And then when you come out of the restaurant or the mall or whatever, the car will leave the parking spot and come to you. And they demoed this a few times and they demoed it live. And I, I watched a bunch of videos with different reporters doing it and asking them like, all right, park it in that spot instead of this spot to make sure it wasn't sort of staged. And it, and it did it. Um, but, you know, this is still like a teeny, teeny bit of self-driving, right? Like the parking. Yeah, that's like almost the, that's like, the hello world of self-driving. Yeah, it's like if you have a driver, who cares? So like for this market, is that the interesting bit? Like the people who are buying this car could afford to have a driver. Um, like that's not that interesting. And, you know, whatever. It's fine. I mean, anyone who does self-driving needs to be able to do this at some point. So that's fine. Yeah, and they showed I feel it. Like it's just like you're they're biting off. So it's it's a it's a like I, I think you, you mentioned this earlier, too. It's like you're not competing with Tesla as they were 10 years ago when they started, right? Like the, the world has moved on. Um, you can't start to compete with Apple with in smartphones by cloning the first version of the iPhone, right? Because right. The, the world has moved on since then. And right now, it seems like a really big task to take on uh, electronic vehicles or electric vehicles, and, well, and electronic as well, um, mm -hmm. so producing these vehicles, designing and producing them, autonomous driving, manufacturing, they're, they're basically making it as hard as possible on themselves. It seems like. I know it just, I just don't, I just find it really hard to believe that they want to be an automaker. Uh, for some reason, it's not as hard to believe that Tesla really does have that ambition because Elon Musk is so crazy, um, that he foresees that he could be one of the biggest automakers in the world. I just, of the people I saw on stage and, you know, no offense to them, I just couldn't get the sense that these are the people who are going to build the next big auto company. And, and it's, it's a harder sell too. Like we, we talk about how Tesla started out with someone else building the vehicles and then putting the electric motor in them and the batteries, but it actually served to kind of prove out their seriousness and that they could actually deliver something. And even though it was low volume, it's a big difference having a low volume thing that's in people's hands to having nothing. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's where this is, where it's just at this point, they're in the stage where, you know, anything that they can put into a video is, is something they can talk about. And there's just a lot of painful reality checks that need to happen between there and having something even close to shipping. Yeah. And, and now like to your point, Tesla exists, you can get a model S you can get a model X and while those aren't super premium luxury cars, it's going to be interesting to see if Tesla responds uh, because one of the other uh, new entrants, Lucid Motors, which we might talk about in a future episode, is taking a very similar approach to this super premium sedan market, you know, with the sort of reclining seats and all that. Um, the, the sort of the Tesla plus plus. Yeah. And does the Model S evolve into that? Um, because the Model S is not like a super luxury vehicle um, in right, that Right, but you can imagine vein. A Model S or X with a more sort of addition treatment, like a mm -hmm. luxury treatment, would also benefit from all of the existing infrastructure and the superchargers. And it seems like that's a, an enormous advantage. And uh, I would be very, you know, if, if I were a billionaire, I would be very leery of investing hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, trying to beat Tesla at the high end. 
Yeah, I mean, is it is like is this the Bing to the Google or is this the Facebook to the Friendster? I mean, do they really believe that Tesla is missing out on a major insight that they have that no one else has? Or do they think they can get some of the crumbs from the automotive market? Do they think that Tesla can succeed and they can succeed and they're going to just destroy the legacy automakers? I don't know. Uh, and that's what's going to be really interesting to watch over the next year or two. And I, honestly, I, am, I would be fine if they were to succeed. I, I don't have any reason to be uh, poo-pooing what they're doing because regardless of what happens, there is a lot of work being done on really cool electric vehicles and in in like in car entertainment and infographics and autonomous features. So any of those things being advanced and people paying for that and thinking about it is great. But I am dubious. I, I'm I'm going to be really interested when that first uh, FF91 rolls off the production line, uh, slated for 2018. So I will, I'm set, I've set my calendar. I'm, I'm ready for that to happen. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on them, but, um, you know, I think there'll be lots of updates this year as they build the factory and, uh, pricing and stuff comes out. So yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on them. Do you think they'll have a vehicle shipping before Tesla has model threes in volume? No, 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 no. All right. I do not. <laughs> All right. Um, we've gone a long time here. Did you have any other uh, final, final FF thoughts um, or do you want to wrap this one up? No, I think that's good. So if people have any uh, comments or reactions to the Faraday Future launch and or FF suggestions for what a better name could have been for the first vehicle. Yes. Uh, or suggestions. You can reach us at the Tesla show on Twitter at our website, the Tesla show.com or on Reddit at r slash the Tesla show. And with that, I'll talk to you later, Mike. Unless we wash away. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye.